0: Let's stand together as we read God's Word today. This will be the last sermon from uh, the Beatitudes, but we'll continue with the Sermon on the Mount. But today we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 12, and let's read those verses together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Today, my title is Blessed Are the Troublemakers. Some of y'all ought to be happy about that because you already know you fit in that category. I'm happy about that. Blessed are the troublemakers. Let me pray. Father, we pray that right now today that you will be with us, that you will speak to us through your word and by your spirit, Father God, that you will speak in such a way as to call us to fulfill our calling as your sons and your daughters even more. Have your way and glorify the name of Jesus because we came together now. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Blessed are... The Troublemakers. Many of you have heard of a personality assessment tool called the DISC. Some of you don't know it, but some of you do. You'll learn a little bit about it right now. It was a tool that was used to help people, and and people still use it a lot, to help understand your personalities better and how you can work with others in a group. It was developed by a man by the name of William Marston, he was a really interesting dude. He was a psychologist, but he was also a lawyer. In addition to that, he also helped to develop the first polygraph test, the lie detector test. And interestingly enough, he also created the comic book character Wonder Woman with her golden lasso to make you tell the truth, right? So this guy was a really interesting guy, but. Let me tell you something about the assessment tool itself. You can put it up on the board. The DISC assessment is a tool to help determine your personality types. So you can see there's four different areas. The D is for dominance, the I is for being an influencer, S is for steady, and S and, and C is conscientious. And so, when you take this test, you find out that you have a one area that is greater and stronger for you than other areas so you may be a high i and you may have s as a a second uh, thing that's a little bit higher than others and so there's all these permutations and all these different ways that when you see your disc assessment you find out uh, how you interact and how you can best work in groups of people together i think that even new life did this a few years ago with their staff and so I haven't done it yet with the staff of New Life. I look forward to that. But today, I'm going to offer a modification to the disc profile. You can put it up there. I call it the disc T. The disc T. Here it is. You can see that the disc T has everything of the disc, but it has one more category. And that category is, is T, which is for troublemaker. Now, you'll see by the end of this sermon that I hope everybody in here is going to be a troublemaker. We all want to be a high T. The definition I have here for troublemaker, you can see it, is that one who takes all this Jesus stuff way too seriously and actually tries to live it out. Amen? How many people want to be a high T? You want to be a—you don't know if you are yet— don't know if I qualify, but, but we want to be a high T. And we're going to talk today about how actually living for Jesus will truly make you qualify as a high T. There's three different classifications of troublemakers we'll look at today. Number one, those who are fighting for peace, called the peacemakers. Those who are living to honor God, the righteous, And then thirdly, those with an intimate association with Jesus, I call them the Jesus freaks. And I hope you know that for me, that's a term of endearment. Amen. So we're going to look at the text and we'll look at each one of these. So first of all, we're going to start in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Class one troublemakers are the peacemakers. And here's my definition of a peacemaker. Those who look for troubled areas so that they might bring true reconciliation. Now, I love in this verse, as it gives us what is the blessing for peacemakers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. We just sung that song and, I don't believe that there's any higher blessing that God could put on you or that God could put on me but to call me a child of God. Sometimes, I don't know, if I was God and I saw the way I do, I say, that's not mine, that's not mine, Uh, doesn't belong to me. You see how he's wilding out over here. You see his craziness. I'm not going to claim him just now, but God claims us. Hallelujah, as his sons and daughters in spite of our craziness. Now, we know, like in this world, we get excited when we see a new baby or even as the child is is growing up a little bit, and you look and you say, oh, my, look at her. She's got her mother's nose. Now, she doesn't literally have her mother's nose because mama's still got her nose, but we know what that means. Or look look at him. He's got the shape of his head is just like his daddy's. And we get excited when we see that in in children. Now, now sometimes there are peculiar characteristics in a family. Uh, When I was born, you can actually see it on my birth certificate, one of my toes... The toe next to my big toe on my left foot goes straight and then at about a 45-degree angle. It's a weird-looking toe, y'all. I got some ugly feet. One day, maybe you'll see them. I hope not, for your sake. My family has always called it the funny toe. Now, here's the thing about my funny toe. I didn't know anyone else in my family, not my parents, not their parents, not My aunts, not my uncles, not my brothers, not my cousins—no one else in the family had a funny toe. But I've got this toe that—it's almost like when you're wishing for something and you cross your fingers. That's what my toes look like. Now I know we don't do that here because we believe in the sovereignty of God, right? At least I hope we do. But, but that's what my toe looks like. I can't tell you how glad I was when my little nephew Andrew was born. And the first time I saw Andrew, I didn't see his face, I didn't see his belly, I didn't see his legs or arms. I said, that's my family right there. He's got this jacked up looking foot and I was so excited. He looks a little bit like me. So here's what I learned, that somewhere, somehow in my family, there's a recessive gene for a jacked up foot. And he got the same one that I got. It's not very dominant. But, but now I, I'm going to need your help because I know this is a little bit of a, a stretch right now. But, but God has for us not a recessive gene but a dominant gene where his children are bent not over their big toe but they're bent towards being peacemakers. It's not a recessive gene. It doesn't skip a generation. It doesn't skip a person. For those who are in the family of God, those are who are his children, this gene is a dominant one. They are peacemakers, those who are willing to go into the hard places of relationships and difficult places and become those who want to make peace. Listen, when we are peacemakers, peacemakers engage in the very activity that primarily defines God's intervention in the world. You know that? God is defined in the way he lives among us in the world as a peacemaker because our very first parents, Adam and Eve, decided to declare war on God. But God, instead of declaring war on them, Loved them, came to them, provided for them, and he does the same for you and for me. But he does it at a great cost. It's not, it's not peacemaking is not easy, peacemaking is not free, peacemaking will cost you a lot. It costs God his very one and only Son. God comes after us, and finally he comes after us in the person of Jesus Christ. No wonder that Isaiah speaks of him as the prince of peace. There's a Zambian theologian, Joe Capaglio, and he says this, whenever his disciples preach the gospel so that people are reconciled to God, they are working as peacemakers and acting as sons and daughters of God. They truly are. Now listen to this this part. But peacemaking is more than just bringing about spiritual reconciliation between God and human beings. It involves actively working for reconciliation between hostile factions. What Kapalyo is saying here is that peacemaking means that you are willing to courageously enter into difficult places in order to make peace. In other words, as a believer, as a peacemaker, you're a troublemaker because you don't just let things be like they are when you know there's a whole bunch of mess right under the surface. In other words, we are not those who are marked as passive-aggressive folks. We all know what passive-aggressive is like, and we've probably all done it at times. Like Tim... I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate that you brought in three donuts and that you ate all those donuts. I'm not mad at you. But you must like donuts. I love you, brother. That's called passive-aggressive. <laughs> Why did you give me that donut, man? Especially that Boston cream, John. I really wanted that thing. But we can all be like that, but God is calling us out of that, that not dealing with stuff. Here's the good news about... Being a peacemaker, you don't have to join the United Nations to be a peacemaker. You don't have to leave your house, if we'll be honest, to be a peacemaker. You don't have to leave your family, and you sure enough don't need to leave New Life Church. There's conflict everywhere. There's struggles everywhere. It's on your job. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your family. If you're married, even making peace between husband and wife, you've got to do this work. Blessed are The peacemakers, God calls us to be those who don't just let things be, but we go to make peace. Now, before anyone else wants to go out and get a t-shirt with a big P on it, I am the peacemaker. Before you go out and get that shirt, let me suggest that we need to look in our own homes, in our own lives, and say, am I making peace right here before i think that i'm going to be the great peacemaker out there there's an old gospel song by the williams brothers and they basically do something that sounds like uh matthew 7:1, but the way they say it is sweep around your own front door before you come to to sweep around mine sweep around your own front door make sure your stuff is together before you start messing in everybody else's stuff. But here's the question for us today. Who is God calling you to reconcile with and make peace with in your life now? Because there probably is someone, something that you've got to do in terms of making peace. But peacemakers are not those who are just content with having peace in my own life peacemakers are those that imitate Jesus they go where they see and sense conflict that may not even directly affect them and they go to bring peace it is the opposite of our culture that says mind your own business Believers in Jesus Christ are troublemakers because we love each other enough not to just mind our own business. When I see a brother who is moving in a relationship that I can see is going to go in a bad way, now I need to pray about it, I need to see God about it, but if I love him, I don't shut my mouth just so that, because he might be mad at me if I talk about it, but I've got to be God's little troublemaker and confront in love my brother. We do that for one another as believers in Christ. We don't just let it be on the surface, but we actually go after real peace. Too often, believers, we settle for false peace. We just let it be. It's all good. It's all good. And you know for a fact it is not all good. You know for a fact. We got to deal with this in marriages. I get so scared when I am counseling a couple. First of all, I'm counseling them for a reason. But then they tell me, oh, we never fight. We never have an argument. I'm like, oh, Jesus, help them right now. Because either they are flat out lying to me or if they're telling me the truth they're not dealing with any of what's real in their marriage you got to deal with stuff and so we're called to be those who deal with things jesus is the model peacemaker but i hope you know none of us here are jesus and so as we read this in the midst of the sermon on the mount we see that uh Peacemakers are those who are called, Ephesians 4.15 says, to speak the truth in love. Remember, this is in the middle of all these Beatitudes. So who is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is one who is poor in spirit. A A peacemaker is one who is gentle and humble. They have that quality we talked about a couple of weeks ago of gentle humility. A peacemaker is one... Who is not moved by a prideful spirit of superiority, but a love for God and a love for others. And we're called to go into situations and to be God's hands and feet to make peace. Class one troublemakers are peacemakers. But there's a second class I want to look at Class two troublemakers, the righteous. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this quality of righteousness and what it is, this deep concern to see God's name blessed through my life and in the community in which I live. But this verse tells us, that there is a price to pay for being a righteous troublemaker amen when we are those who are about seeing god's righteousness in our lives and in our community we will be persecuted you will have opposition you will have trouble Being a person who strives for the righteousness of God has always been something that gets people in trouble. Even in Jesus' day, as we will be reading through the rest of Matthew 5 in the coming weeks, Jesus, first of all, gets his persecution not from the world but from the religious leaders around him. That's where your first problem is going to be when you are this troublemaking Person who's about the righteousness of God we see in verse seventeen of chapter five that Jesus comes to fulfill righteousness in verse twenty we see that the righteousness that he 's looking for is a righteousness better than that of the scribes and the Pharisees better than the religious leaders and then in the rest of chapter five from verses twenty one through forty eight He contrasts a form of righteousness that you can check off and say, I did this, I did this, I didn't do that. Look at me, I'm righteous. He says, that's not what God is getting at. What he says is the righteousness that I'm trying to communicate is a change of heart that gets not only to what you did on the outside, but what you thought on the inside. It gets to your motives. It gets to the very core of who you are. It's not enough to say, I didn't murder anyone today, but I murdered 12 people with an Uzi in my head. Amen? Jesus is going there. If you're going to go there, you're going to be a troublemaker. You will be a troublemaker. And we're going to find that persecution that will get the unrest that will get the carts that we will topple will come from what we call in our society very often the right and from the left from the left we're gonna overturn some apple carts when we talk about sexual ethics as the bible lays them out god has something to say about how we can and how we cannot use our bodies And some are going to say, how dare you say that? My body belongs to me, and no one can tell me what I can do about it. God's word says differently, y'all. But there's going to be those on the left who are going to look at you and say, how in the world can you believe that old book? That's 2,000 years old. We're more enlightened than that right now. And so the Bible becomes not the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Suggestions. And God's Word becomes something that we can pick up when when it's convenient and lay down when it's inconvenient. You're going to have persecution from the left, but we'll also have persecution from the right if we're not careful. There are those who believe that getting wealthy is at all costs something that we should do. It's a biblical value to strive for wealth and honor and privilege and regardless of those whom it might hurt we're going to do that but the biblical prophets micah and others consistently came against that sort of ethic that made wealth the ultimate thing to strive for micah says it in these words micah six ten through 12 am i still to forget your ill-gotten treasures you wicked house. And the short ephah, which is accursed. Verse 11, shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag full of false weights? Your rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars. And their tongues speak deceitfully. He's saying that, he's not saying that all wealth is bad, but he's saying when you get it dishonestly and hurt others on the way, There's a problem, and God is not pleased. The bottom line is this, that biblical righteousness defies our simple labels of right and left. And if you are consistently living and believing on the far right of our political scales or on the far left of our political scales, and you can comfortably just live in one of those places, you've got to throw out a whole bunch of Bible to stay there. And somebody say amen. There's no area of your life, there's no relationship that's not affected. How you spend money, God is concerned about that. How you treat the rich, how you treat the poor, how you spend your time, your sexuality, your thought life, and anything else that you can imagine is under this rubric of righteousness. When you stick consistently to God's Standards, you're going to be an offense to somebody. Now, when we talk about these things, these are minor forms of persecution, but we get them. Listen, if you are trying to manifest God's righteousness at your school, among your friends, if you're a young person, and people are cheating on a test, or people are telling racist jokes, or dirty jokes or other things and you are distancing yourself and saying i'm not going to have anything to do with that you are going to be seen as someone who is on the outside what's wrong with you won't you get with it man if you if, if you join us in the way we're doing this test you can get an a instead you're going to get a c because we've got the answers right here but you resist that for righteousness sake for god's sake Same thing for us who are older. When we decide to work and to act and to live according to God's righteousness, you're going to find yourself on the outside more than on the inside. But these are minor forms of persecution. We know that around the world there are people who are being put in jail, men and women, people who are being killed, murdered. Because of their stand for Jesus Christ. Because they will not recant the fact that they believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He is the only hope. He is the Messiah. He is the King of the universe. Beautiful thing about this beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, is that the blessing that is offered just like in the first beatitude in verse 3 is a right now blessing there's is the kingdom of heaven we need to know that when we're going through persecution and difficulty we need to know about the isness of God he is with me right now the psalmist put it this way in psalm 46 that he is a very present help in trouble and i love the way the new living translation puts it he is always ready to help out god's people in a time of trouble he's right there he's not far off we need to know the isness of god in the midst of our struggle i love what paul says in second corinthians chapter four verses eight and nine he says these words we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed We are perplexed. What's going on? I don't understand it, but not in despair. He says, we're persecuted, but I know this. I am not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Donnie McClurkin said it this way, we fall down, but we get back up. You may be struck down. You may be persecuted. All of these things are going on in our lives, but we know that God is with us. Be a troublemaker. Be a troublemaker and stand for God's righteousness. Your willingness to suffer because of your commitment to righteousness receives a right now reward from God. Let's look at the last class of troublemakers. Class three, troublemakers, the Jesus freaks. Amen. Verses 11 and 12, put it this way, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's my definition for the Jesus freaks. They are those who are so into Jesus that they can't help but talk about him, tell others about him, and try to live like him. Amen. How many people would love to be called this kind of Jesus freak? I hope you can raise your hand on that one. I know I want to be called that for that reason. Now, this, these verses 11 and 12 technically are not in the Beatitudes. What they really are is a, a, a short a commentary on verse 10, on that final Beatitude, but When you look at it, look at verse 11 again. Blessed are you when people, number one, insult you. You are, in other words, mocked because of your commitment to Jesus. When they persecute you, that can be relationally, that can be economically, that can be physically when you're persecuted. And when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. In other words, people are lying on you big time. How many people like to be lied on? I see one hand. Talk to mama, talk to daddy. They'll tell you what I'm talking about. We don't like it when people lie about our character, lie about what we've done. But he says, when you're living for this righteousness, all these things are going to happen to you. But look at what he says. Why does it happen? Here's the purpose clause. It happens to you because of me. Jesus says, you're being persecuted because of me. Now, we've got to be careful as believers. Sometimes we think we're being persecuted because of Jesus, and we're really not. If you get a job warning on your job because you've been telling everybody on the job about Jesus all the time when you should be working, that's not persecution. That's a bad work ethic. If if you get uh, caught by the cops... And you say, I'm being persecuted. The cops came after me when you were spray painting Repent or Die on City Hall. That's not persecution. That's a crime you're committing. We call all kinds of things persecution that aren't necessarily persecution, but real persecution for being a Jesus freak, for being someone who is persecuted because of Jesus happens when we live our lives in a way that is in, inextricably and undeniably tied to the person of Jesus Christ. When we live with the integrity of following Jesus, even in to the hard places, people know that you represent Jesus wherever you may be. And so your life acts as a compass that points clearly to Jesus Christ at all times. In the Roman Empire, the Roman citizens were called every year to take a pinch of incense and to burn that before a statue of the emperor and to declare Jesus is Lord when they did that. But we know that the Christian confession is not that Caesar is Lord, but it is Jesus is Lord. And so that very confession was an affront. It was not only an affront, but it was, it, it was something that the Romans could not stand. We can't let this Jesus as is Lord language stand. And so the early Christians in the first three centuries were persecuted. Many were martyred for not backing up on the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. I hope you know that when I talk about this terminology as Jesus freaks, this is a high calling. One who loves Jesus so much that we stay true to our belief in him even when it would be more convenient to just tone it down a little bit. We don't tone it down. That doesn't mean we're jerks about it. That doesn't mean we're breaking laws about it. That doesn't mean that when I'm pestering someone over and over again about Jesus so much that it feels like I'm beating them over the head with my Bible, that's not being a Jesus freak. That's being a knucklehead. God hasn't called us to be knuckleheads. But look at this as I, last thing I want to look at in these verses, I love the fact, verse 12 is crazy. We're being persecuted and he tells us what to do with that persecution. He says, rejoice and be glad. How many people rejoice and be glad when persecution comes? I don't know about you, but that's not my first reaction. But here's the thing, if you look at it closer, it's even a little bit crazier. Because when he says rejoice and be glad. These words are imperatives. In other words, it's a command from Jesus to say, I'm commanding you to rejoice in the midst of your persecution. I'm commanding you to be glad. And it's not only an imperative, but it's what grammarians call a durative imperative, which means that it goes for as long as the persecution comes he says, you continue in rejoicing. You continue to be glad. I don't know about you, but that seems a little crazy to me, but he's got a reason for rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Here, there's a promise here and sometimes we miss out on that. There's a reward in heaven and God is with you right now. We saw that in verse 10, but there's a great reward if we'll walk with God. I love the fact in the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books in the New Testament, Paul writes this book from a Roman prison. And as he writes Philippians, he is in prison. And the theme that you see over and over again in this book is rejoicing. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. We can rejoice in God knowing that he's got us no matter what our situation is. I love Philippians 4, 6. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication. And then he uses this phrase, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. In other words, he says, don't forget what I have done for you. Believers, we need to always remind ourselves God is watching over us. God has kept us. God has kept you. He has kept me. There's an old song from Kirk Franklin when he says, When I think about Jesus and what he's done for me, when I think about Jesus, how he set me free, he says, I can dance, 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 dance all night. I can't sing like Kirk. (laughs) But he says, I just get happy when I think of what Jesus has done in my life. New Life family, if you take your DISC assessment, I pray that however you grade on it, somewhere in there you will grade a high T. You're a troublemaker for Jesus. Blessed are the troublemakers who love Jesus so much and who love others so much that they live a life dedicated to the honor of his great name to pointing others to Jesus, to loving him, and experience the blessing that comes from honoring Christ with your life. Jesus is calling a people to himself, not just those that say I'm a Christian or that say I'm a believer, but I am a disciple, one who follows in the steps of my Lord. That's a revolutionary army that is used by God to usher in God's kingdom. It's not the rich, it's not the powerful, it's not the influential who usher in the kingdom, but we've read it the last three weeks. It is the poor, it is the meek, it it is those who mourn. And as we saw today, it is those who put themselves in harm's way to represent Jesus Christ. May that be you. May that be me. May God be honored by our lives. As I close, I want to do one thing today. I want us to read together. We'll put it on the board. Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Let's read those verses together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Father, bless this word to the hearts of your people. May we be courageous believers in Christ. Lord, may we, with all of our lives and all of our hearts, desire to do whatever we need to do to honor your name. We're going to get in trouble for doing it at times. But God, help us to be true to you in every circumstance for the praise and for the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.